the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right the third window from the right Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Third Window Films podcast. My name is Ben and with me is... Adam from Third Window Films. <laughs> Adam coming in with the energy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this show is a celebration of all things Third Window Films from the perspective of the fan being me and the man himself being Adam Terrell. Big it up. <laughs> Big it up. <laughs> we, we did it, Adam. We made it to the end of the year. Uh, just about, yes. Merry Christmas, happy holidays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's been a long year and a tough year, but uh, we finally made it, and uh, I hope that you you have a good one too. Thanks, brother. Yeah, you're not lying. It's been a mad year. Well, for both of us, really. I mean, you're literally on crutches right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, mental. How's things going though? You've been busy, 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 right? The last few months. Yeah, yeah. I've just been trying to prepare next year you know uh yeah think what releases to do and then at the same time as you mentioned i, I did my uh, foot quite badly i'm on crutches uh, but it has allowed me to catch up with uh, a lot of films as i always try to do at the end of the year is ram as, re- as many films until i can finish the best 10 uh, so <laughs> i've really been sort of uh, uh trying to catch up uh, uh yeah i've been doing the same um it's been amazing, but you're right. You kind of feel this pressure to see as many as you can in one go. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. So we've both got our top tens of the year that we're going to go through. Um, and I guess, like you said, you've been working on next year's roster. So people want to hear what you've got planned. But I think if we start off by just going through what happened this year um, with Third Window Films, I reckon the best place to start, as it's literally just come out, is with Adrift in Tokyo. Um, yeah, I don't know where you want to go with that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the third one of film's first release was, uh, 15 years ago. And that was the year that, uh, Drift in Tokyo was released, uh, initially. Um, when I first saw it, uh, I don't, I think I saw it at a, actually, I may have seen it the year after at Udine, or I may have seen it in 2007 from its production company. I don't really remember, but it, it was 15 years ago. And it was a film that, that I always loved and it was a film that I was so easy to recommend to people whenever I would do um like in-person events to places like Hyper Japan where I would sell DVDs and speak to customers and speak to or other things like that I would always suggest um films either uh Confessions, Kamikaze Girls or Drift in Tokyo they were the three films that I knew that people would like and I still, I've always felt that way. It's a film that um, just, it's got, it's, it's got that, it's really quirky and funny, but not like crazy quirky as much as Turtles or Surprisingly Fast Swimmers. And it also has that sort of road movie and like buddy movie that can go to people that, that may not like uh, more in-your-face uh, comedy. So it's, it's such a easy film, especially, you know, just for people that like Japan and just like walking around uh, in Tokyo. It's a fantastic uh you know, great fe- feeling type of film. So uh, I'd always had it in my mind and, and people always loved the DVD. And when it went out of print, I thought uh, maybe it's a film that I can re-release on Blu-ray. And uh, I spoke to the producers and we managed to get the materials and, and finally uh, have the first Blu-ray release of it in the world. 
Yeah, it's so cool. And you're right, I was going to say, when I saw it, I've never kind of wanted to visit Tokyo more than, than when you watch this film. And it's not really like a tourism film either. It's just two guys just kind of bumbling through the city, uh, trudging along together. I loved it. And obviously it's got, so that it's like a double header. It's got uh, Joe Odagiri, who like, I think he's kind of underappreciated if I'm honest. Like he, he's worked with the greats. Like he was, he worked with Corriada on um, Air Doll. He did, um, talking about confessions in Kamikaze Girls, he did uh, Nakashima's uh, The World of Kaneko. Um, he was in Sion Sono's Hazard. Um, fucking hell, he was in Kurosawa's stuff, uh, so like Retribution and Bright Future. And the guys work with everyone, but I don't think he's like a household name, really, and at least not over here. Yeah, I mean, in Japan, he is a massive name. And in Asia, too, like he's done a lot of Korean and Chinese films. But yeah, it, it, he does seem like somebody who could be more well-known because he has that sort of like Asano Tarnobu type like atmosphere to him that is uh, quite unique. Laid back, cool, good looking. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's yeah. just like cool. I mean, uh, he's got a different sort of coolness to Tarnobu Asano, but um, like, yeah, he is quite, quite unique. And maybe just he just probably doesn't speak English. Uh, and that's why. <laughs> <laughs> I love the extra on the disc that you've got is him it looks like he's in a dressing room or something and he's just smoking the whole time he's being interviewed and he just looks cool as fuck. I haven't smoked in a while, but uh, it made me want to start again a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's a pretty, yeah, he's such a cool guy and he's he's he does loads of different things as well. Like he'll just take, do like small little indie films and also big films and he directs, uh, he directed this film, um, which, which name I've just completely forgot, with, with uh, Christopher Doyle did the... the um, cinematography for it uh oh wow uh, yeah we came out last year actually christopher doyle was working on it at the same time that he was working with us for doing barbara yeah we, we he was in japan for the same time and after i think in between barbara or just after barbara he went and shot that uh Odagiri film. Oh, I can't believe I've just forgotten the name, but I should have. Uh, but I'm sure people, <laughs> I'm somebody can uh, will, will, will know what I'm talking about. But um, people think of that as the first film that he directed. But actually, he made this film years ago called Looking for Cherry Blossoms, which is very sort of like a Miki Satoshi type film. It's very sort of crazy quirky, but it's only about one hour long and never really made it anywhere. So it was sort of forgotten. Right. And, I, and I did try to get that release um, as a double bill to go with this because it's from the same production company. Um, but they wouldn't allow me to because they, they didn't want it to be like a sort of like sub release. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like Adrian Tokyo is the main and this is like the sub. So it, it would have to be its sort of own release. But at 60 minutes long, it can't really... I mean, Electric Dragon is 60 minutes long. I was going to um, say. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have the same sales power, to be honest, because it never really was released anywhere. Sure. That's cool, though. So do you actually know the guy? Have you met him? Or? I've never actually met him. I'm surprised I actually haven't because our paths really should have crossed. And also, I worked a lot with the with his management company, uh, um, who, who we produced a film together, the, the Land of Hope, because they used to also be Shion Sono's management company. So I'm surprised I haven't. But um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind, I guess. <laughs> I yeah, guess. of course. Well, yeah, he's so good in the film. Um, and then the other side of it is uh, Tomokazu Miura, who I kind of, like, didn't massively uh, recognise him when I was watching it, but then I was looking at his filmography, and he's been, like, in a lot of Third Window stuff, to be honest. He was in um, 
Obayashi's His Motorbike Her Island. Uh, he was in uh, Katahito Ishii's The Taste of Tea. Um, I know it's not been released yet, but I know it might be in the pipeline. We've got um, uh, Jen Sekiguchi's Survive Style 5 Plus. Um, God, he was, he was also in uh, Kitano's Outrage Trilogy. So the guy is like, again, he's like a road warrior. He's been in everyone's films. Yeah, he's he's a proper proper uh, mainstay of Japanese cinema, and uh, done. I mean, one of some of the films that I've got in my upcoming top ten have got him in it as well. I mean, he's just like a yeah, he's a le- he's a legend. Uh, so cool, but yeah, I, I've I, I've been raving about this film since I first saw it through you, um, and even when I was tweeting about it this time, I had people being like, "Oh, you know, I've I've been meaning to look up uh, Miki Satoshi, so I don't know really where to start," and I was like start with this it's the best film it's it's just amazing i don't know I, I don't know how you couldn't like it it's just so funny and existential and weird and like just intrinsically japanese it's just fantastic i love it yeah i'm surprised actually the pre-sales were, weren't very good on it but i think it's just one of those films that will sell over time and uh i hope it does and i hope more people i think there are are a lot of people that don't know of it and uh and i also think there are a lot of people that don't realize that it has come out uh on Blu-ray, which is my fault, uh, but um, I, I, I think it's it's one film that a lot of people will continue to discover, and I, I think it has legs, and, and I hope more people do watch it. Yeah, it will get there. <laughs> awesome. Well, look, so it's been a big year for Third Window Films. You've had a lot of pretty huge releases. I thought if we just go through them um, chronologically quickly, just to kind of recap, because I know you even say that like once you do a release, you have to start working on the next one straight away, you know, and it's easy to forget where you've been and what you've been doing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, if we go all the way back to January, uh, we started off the year with Shinya Tsukamoto's Hiroko the Goblin, which was um, just fucking <laughs> mind-blowing. What did you think of that one? Yeah, I mean, it's it was always sort of... Uh, forgotten i think out of his works because it was like a studio film and it was quite uh more slapsticky than than his other sort of more hardcore cult films but uh i think it has really stood the test of time and, and it does look so great in high definition so um uh i'm glad that uh i was able to put it out and uh yeah another tsukamoto film for for the list uh or the growing list of third window tsukamoto films yeah, so Tsukamoto always has had like a very kind of intrinsic part of our relationship because, as you said, you know, at the very beginning, um, I think one of the first ones you sent me was um, it was Haze, wasn't it? Haze, which mixed with Killing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the 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 three film set, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah, and it was such a good little mix of short films, and um, it was uh, Kojo Denchu as well, wasn't it? So Denchu Kozo. Denchikozo, yeah. Well, I get confused because sometimes you mix the names up. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, he's such a like a versatile director, um, even though he, he definitely has his own style. But like, Hiroko the Goblin just seems to be on a whole other level. Like, I remember what, as I was watching it, it was like, it's a bit like Evil Dead 3, uh, or <laughs> Evil Dead 2, sorry, not Army of Darkness. And it's got some Ghostbusters in there. Um, it's a bit of like the thing from, you know, like John Carpenter. Um, yeah, it's, it goes into like alien stuff at the end. It's like really far removed from like that stuff he does in the city with, you know, the really grimy metallic kind of crunch to it. And it's just like way funnier than I was expecting. And yeah, it's like this camp, like buddy adventure almost, but with like Lovecraftian body horror in it and stuff. It's just so cool. 
Yeah, it's just and it's entertaining. I mean, uh, it's a lot more fun, as you said, uh, and I think it's great that a director who may have very more hardcore films can then do a sort of studio film like that. I mean, Sam Raimi himself also is is a director who who does that sort of stuff. You know, going from the, his own hardcore small films to like you know Marvel films. So um, you know, I think it's sort of Sukumoto's Marvel film in that respect. I guess so. Although I saw the Multiverse of Madness and I was not impressed. <laughs> Just like, I don't know if you're a fan of that stuff, but it wasn't good. I, I like uh, you know going to the cinema and watching that stuff on the big screen, but I've I've not had. I was going to watch it on the airplane uh, recently, and uh, and then my my kid jumped on me, and that was the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, man. Why did we have kids? Honestly, it's a pain in the ass. It is. It is. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, then in February, um, you brought out Sogoishi's Crazy Thunder Road which, you know, obviously that was a game changer. Um, and yeah, again, so didn't the success of that basically open the way or pave the way for independent cinema in Japan? And this whole like cyberpunk genre kind of came from it, like they even inspired like Tetsuo, the Iron Man and all that sort of stuff. For sure. I mean, you know, Ishizogo is uh, slightly older than some of those other people from that generation, uh, including uh, he's slightly older than Tsukamoto, but then also people like Sono Shion and all that. And they all came from the Pia Film Festival, and uh, also from a sort of punk movement that was, you know, a bit of dirtier Japan than, than we see today. And, um, you know, he did revolutionize the independent cinema. And uh, and that film is nev- was never released outside of Japan in any physical format. Uh, only a few sort of theatrical screenings here and there at festivals. And, uh, yeah, 40 years it took. And I was so happy to finally get it out there. And at the same time, a little disappointed in how the sales were on it, but then I, mm. I guess I, I probably should have done a more limited edition, like slipcover and all that uh, set. But I was two things: one is I wanted to make it a little cheaper, so that pe- people could watch it easier. Um, yeah. Instead of making adding like three, four pounds onto it and making a limited edition, making it slightly cheaper would would have allowed more people to see it. And also, like the Burst City release that um, Arrow Films put out. Like uh, Ishisoko hated the artwork for that, hmm. and and I was thinking of obviously like I do with some of the Tsukamoto releases is making new illustrated artwork for this one. But the problem with that is you know the illustration once it's done you know if you show it to the director and say he doesn't and he says he doesn't like it well you know the, the illustration might have taken a long time you still have to pay the person anyway and then you're sort of left in this position what to do. So I thought well I w- I won't have new I won't have illustrated artwork or a slipcase and. Uh, and maybe that hurt the sales a bit. That's so interesting, yeah. Because, I mean, I work in marketing as, as my career, and we do a lot of kind of A-B testing and trialing things, you know, in different ways and seeing how it affects the results. And, you know, something as simple as that being like maybe having a slipcase, it, it is interesting to think that that could have affected sales. Um, I know Tom Mess, when he came on, he was sort of saying like, you know, either buy this disc or hand in your... Japanese cinema credentials because this is you know one of the birthing places of what it's become now and uh yeah I'm surprised it didn't sell better than you think but yeah I guess the market is mainly I think uh, I underestimate the market or the market is mainly more collectors I mean I think a lot of people buy stuff and don't end up actually getting around to watching it for ages uh right and that, yeah. in that respect it's a more plush edition uh a collector's edition is something that Will, will sell quicker. I mean, obviously, in all cases, like with the Tsukamoto slipcases, it will sell quicker because they are a, a collector's item. But um, 
you know, I always say this, but I'm more, in, I'm not a collector. Well, as much as I did collect, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of DVDs. And, but that was, <laughs> and that records. was, and records, but that's more because I want to see those movies, not, not just the sake for the sake of collecting a collectible item. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, I, I just want these films to get out there and, uh, people to watch them, not just to collect them. Um, but, uh, I guess it's two sides of the same coin. Well, like, so one of the reasons I loved that release so much was it sent me down a huge rabbit hole of Sogorishi stuff. So I ended up discovering like Angel Dust and August in the Water, uh, Crazy Family, um, uh, Punk Samurai. Uh, yeah, I can't even think, uh, loads more. I, I went down a real rabbit hole and I was just kind of obsessed with him for, for a month. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to see, and I think you've got a few more of his kind of coming out soon, maybe, haven't you? Potentially. Yes, uh, we can we can uh, talk yeah. about that at the end of this show. Perfect. All right, um, you've got to help me out with the names on this one because I always just butcher them. But uh, the next one was in March, and it was the Funky Forest, the first contact, and the Warped Forest in one disc. Um, is it by uh, Hajime Ishimene, Katsuhito Ishii, and Sunichiro Miki? Sunichiro Miki, yes, uh, uh, yes, and Katsuhito Ishii and uh, Hajime. Uh, anarchy is is uh, his his nickname, so uh, anarchy is fine. Yeah, I mean, anyone that listens to the podcast already knows how much the Funky Forest kind of affected me. I I didn't really know what to say about it, other than it's definitely one of my favorite first watches of the year, um, and it's definitely in my top ten of all time films. <laughs> I'm like, I love it. I've seen it so many times now. I just I just think it gets better every time. I'm surprised more people. I mean, it is uh, apparently a love-hated film, love it or hated film. But I'm, I'm surprised more people don't love it as much as they should. I mean, uh, every aspect of it is amazing, and I know it's a bit long, but but uh, I think it can be watched many, many times over and, and appreciated in different ways. It's uh, just such a amazing piece of like uh, experimental minds coming together, you know. If Netflix did a six-hour extended version, I would lap it up. I, yeah, I just loved it to bits. And I mean, Funky Forest to a slightly lesser degree, but like because Miki was responsible for some of the weirdest and most demented stuff in... Um, oh, Funky Warped Forest to a lesser degree. Oh, Warped degree. Forest, sorry. I, I messed up, yeah. Like, Warped Forest is so much more like, I don't know, like sexually charged and perverted and um, there were scenes that had me like properly like blushing <laughs> at times, you know? But it's still loads of fun. It's like just insane stuff. Yeah, War Forest is a little more is a lot harder to get into for sure. I mean, it's a lot more experimental and uh, and a lot more as we talked about, a lot more perverted. Um, but that's more of a loved or hated film. But uh, I think Funky Forest is just um, yeah, it's just amazing. And I think just being that the first release ever of Warp Forest. I mean, it was never released in cinemas in Japan and never yeah. released in any format. Otherwise, uh, I think it just makes a nice package, to be honest. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, I hope more and more people can discover those films. Yeah, because I remember you saying that Miki like put his life savings into that film and didn't release it. It's kind of yeah, this crazy. Yeah. I don't know, just this crazy passion person. project. Or... Yeah, he's a really strange person. I mean, Katsuhito Ishii is like a really, really friendly, easy to talk to, like super, super cheerful person. And like Shinichiro Miki is like just really strange. And like I can under I mean I can't understand why somebody would spend their life savings on a film that was just for themselves like for just for themselves and not want to release it. But I once you meet him, you can sort of understand. Amazing. Well, 
one of the coolest elements of the film for me, I thought, was the like a really young Fumi Nikaido, and she's like on this hunting mission with a gun that you kind of have to see to to believe. And I don't know, like you, I don't know how you describe it. It's like a cum gun, basically. <laughs> and she was fourteen at the time, so uh, that's it fucked is, up. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that film is all sorts of fucked up. Yeah, again, if you haven't watched that, uh, I can't recommend it enough. Um, the Funky Forest First Contact is just a work of genius. All right, so then in April, you had another kind of omnibus, quirky uh, kind of coming together of minds. Uh, so it's Naoto Takanaka, Takayuki Yamada, and Takumi Saito's Zoki, uh, which you I know you fell in love with on the festival circuit, didn't you? Um, and it was really cool when you finally brought that one over. Yeah, I mean, it was also a bit risky, uh, maybe to do with the fact that I couldn't, I couldn't have find many other decent i always want to release new japanese films as much as i can um yeah but i couldn't really find many and uh it was a bit of a risk because i didn't think it would it might not sell well and hence me trying to put it uh right after funky forest which is another three directors omnibus strange japanese film and i thought that people who because i knew funky forest would be popular and i thought the people who would watch that might give zoki a chance um which they obviously didn't, but um, I, <laughs> I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson um, in in you know releasing those sorts of films uh, and and not to like Fanuke was another one, and uh, I, I really obviously Blu-ray is just such an expensive um, format, and uh, the market is not what it used to be. So, well, oh, it's such a shame. Like I've noticed every single one of these I've mentioned, you're like, and they didn't sell very well, and they didn't <laughs> sell very well. It's like shit. <laughs> I mean, this one has like real pedigree behind it, though. So you've got the, um, it's based on a manga by Hiroyuki Ohashi, who did um, Ongaku, our sound, right? Which yeah, is that's great. just incredible. Um, and yeah, it's not really an anthology film. It's more like a, like a series of snapshots, isn't it? Into this like weird world. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a video game or something, like one of these open source video games where just like everyone's, connects to another person and gets into their real weird, weird, weird story. Yeah, exactly. And the cast is amazing. Like it's got like Jun Kunimura and Rire Matsuda um, and like Pistol Takahara as well. Like, mm. like lesser known, but really impressive little actors like that. Um, and it's got like a load of bunch of idols in there too, isn't it? Cause it's got like the, the whole kind of theme about it. Or the, what I took from it was like, it was all kind of around lust and finding like a lust for life and lust for, for for sex and stuff like that so it was it was i just thought it was brilliant <laughs> well hence me sort of trying to connect it to funky forest i mean uh i know it's very different to funky forest but i think that's sort of a perverted element uh m- would bring some sort of uh connection between the two films um you know i i think it's zoki is more of a film for video video on demand to be honest than a physical right. release and um i think if it was like a 99 pence rental or if it was in a streaming service, a lot more people would watch it and like it. And, uh, you know, I, I really should, should start a VOD service or something to, to focus on these smaller films instead of putting them out on Blu-ray. Interesting. Well, I know Joey Long from Terracotta said he's looking into that. So maybe that is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working with him on that for sure, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just another thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, there was one more thing I wanted to mention on the film, though, because there's like this horror-infused segment um, by Naoto Takanaka um, that I just thought was incredible. It's like super creepy, but it ends up being quite touching in the end. 
um but all the time it's kind of played for laughs as well so it has like this comedy horror thing but also it kind of tugs at your heartstrings and i just thought it was kind of masterful and um yeah it made me want to see like a uh, like a feature length horror from him like a proper j horror like maybe a, a tomi or something like that i don't know he made like this horror comedy years ago called yamagata scream and right. it was just like totally unknown um it never really got any major release um but um yeah that segment of the film is really the best best part of the film by far uh it's a fantastic segment uh and just for that segment alone i'd like people to watch it yeah for sure all right moving on so back in may we had our first actual big director interview on the podcast um and we also it was our first big recording disaster too if you remember <laughs> uh but yeah it was artur harari's onada Ten Thousand nights in the jungle um which again was a really it was an incredible release but it was a bit of a, a different one for you right for third window yeah, it was a it was uh, trying to take on more of like a, a mainstream art house film instead of just like a, a Japanese film. I mean, it's 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 a, in Japanese language, but it's um a French film uh, and a, and a, you know was in the Cannes Film Festival and uh, won a Caesar Award and um it's being released uh, in America at this moment right now too. So uh, uh, a lot of press is coming out at this very time. Um, I I love the film as a as a film lover, and I think you have to be a film lover to really, really understand the, the film because it's very classic. Uh, and we spoke to, yes, Artur, and uh, he's a very old-fashioned style of director despite the fact that he's so young. And his previous film, Dark Diamond, is also a, a masterpiece in uh, in sort of a classic cinema style. So, um, yeah, I really loved speaking to him uh, and and listening to everything he said. It was he, I could li- We could listen in for hours, and we did, yes, uh, before yeah. the podcast broke down uh, and we lost <laughs> hours oh. of it. Also, <laughs> the big problem was we said, you know, oh, this we're using this, we're, we're talking to this director who's at Cannes, you know, like this could be a good chance for us to put out some video content as well and let people see the interview. So we decided to record video as well as sound and it just kept bricking my laptop and kicking me out and I lost half the audio for like questions. It was awful. I had so much anxiety trying to edit that together. Uh, so sad yeah. it was uh very nerve-wracking because we finally got this big guest and then we made him wait for hours uh and also i think like initially and this isn't our first time but he had problems getting sound uh, and oh, he, did, he spent yeah. like 45 minutes trying to get him sound working and like initially it was just supposed to be an hour interview and the whole thing lasted like three hours or something like that uh well yeah and also the film is nearly three hours long so <laughs> yeah. it was like an audio commentary of the film then he was so cool though wasn't he he's got like these these amazing kind of leading man good looks and he was so uh, cool and chill and yeah had loads to say he's a really interesting director yeah for sure and if anybody hasn't listened to that podcast uh whether you've seen the film or not, just like please listen. I think it's episode five because it's um, it's a fa- he's such an interesting person to listen to. And and after that, uh, yeah, please try to watch Onoda because it's also one of the films that uh, nobody seems to to be watching. But it's a it's a very 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 uh, good film to be watched on a on as big a screen as possible. Yeah, and I mean it spans decades, right? So there's kind of like two performances for each character. So there's like this 1940s 50s cast, and then it goes to like the 60s and the 70s. And um, I think Artur even talked about he was so happy with the transition um, where it goes from uh, Yuya Endo to uh, Kanji Suda. Mm. Um, and it, it's like this flash edit and it's done so well. But 
Yeah, so it's uh, acting by all of them is amazing, and and I always say this, but like Kan Kanji Tsuda, who's in Funky Forest uh, actually, and Warp Forest, has always been an actor that's overacts a lot, or maybe uh, directors that he worked with aren't very good at directing him, but um, he his acting really pisses pisses me off. It's like it's very annoying. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah, yeah, and and um. Onoda, he was so good in it that I actually thought it wasn't him. Like when the, when is when I finished the film because I didn't know who was in it, and then uh, when the film ends and his name come up on screen, I said, which role was him? And I watched it like, oh, it's kind of like I've been watching it for like the last one and a half hours, but I didn't yeah. think it was him because he it, it was acting so well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean, it's I wouldn't tell that compliment to his face because. <laughs> You basically say he's shit every other time, but yeah, yeah. he's good at this. You know what? When I was interviewing him for the for the um, interview on the disc, I tried to sort of get him <laughs> to not say that he was a shit actor, but like try to push him in a direction of saying like <laughs> how the director directed him and how different it was in in um, when he was being directed by Japanese directors, and I, because I wanted to hear him sort of. Uh, explain to me why his acting was so good in a, in a oh roundabout God. way so i was trying to like you like make these roundabout questions and and it, it, he didn't take the bait but um <laughs> i tried that's so funny all right well moving on so in july we had the start of the summer and you brought out katsuyuki motohiro's summertime machine blues um, written by Makoto Ueda, who also did the the Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, which was probably your most successful release of last year, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, and I thought, uh, what better way to uh, capitalize on that with uh, the, his fantastically entertaining sci-fi film from that had never been released outside of Japan, uh, and and another film that only sold like three hundred copies. I was really surprised, actually, how few copies it sold. Um, but maybe it's another one that just take time. Uh, I mean, I think at the same time, because uh, Chameleon Films in Australia put it out just by coincidence. Right. Um, we, we, I mean, really coincidence, we had both bought the same film at the same time, a film that hadn't been released in uh, since in 15 years or so. And um, yeah, they released it, sort of sneakily released it region free um, when they were actually region B. So I think maybe they, they were able to sell more copies. But um Oh, I, cheeky. Yeah, but um, I did put a lot of work into the extra features on that disc, and I think uh, it's really got a, a fantastic selection of, of bonus features. Um, so it's a great film and, and, a, and a great set. And I think I think anybody who who uh, like a title like Adrift in Tokyo, like it's a film that, that you don't really have to be a, a, a cinephile or, or or that into Japanese cinema to enjoy. It's a very uh, fun oh, film. Hundred percent. And so do you know what? I get messages, you know weekly by someone saying they've just seen beyond the infinite two minutes and absolutely loved it because i think it's on channel four at the moment or something like mm. that um and i always say that's so cool be sure to go out and pick up summertime machine blues because like just like beyond the infinite two minutes the thing that makes it such a joy to watch is like the creative way the script kind of explores the intricacies of time travel theory like mm. it's it does it in really fun and interesting ways um, but also like the madcap energy that the character, uh, the actors have, um, you know, while trying to portray these, these ideas, mm. it's so much fun. And yeah, I've watched it two times now and both times I just had a fucking blast with it. Um, there's some really cool, like when, it, when, when they go so far back in time, it goes to like black and white. So you have this kind of like Kurosawa homage stuff and 
or you have like the split screen where it does it horizontally so you can see above and below what's going on in the in the separate timelines and and also the fact that the stakes are so low as well <laughs> like it's something as simple as trying to fix a um a remote control for a fan because it's too hot and then how badly they can fuck up the timeline and end up in like real real jeopardy i just think it's really cool and funny it's also a rare instance where like um you know you have a wonderful script by a total independence which would become a film like beyond the infinite two minutes if it just stayed with an independent team and director which means fantastic ideas but very very low budget and yeah. it, summertime machine blues has that that intelligence plus it's directed by a studio director so a studio director who normally has shit scripts and makes shit films that look good and in this case it's a rare instance we have a, a good quality good visually look uh, and entertaining and well shot director who mixed with a script that's very intelligent uh, so he it's actually a very intelligent blockbuster film um which is probably the only film from his catalog uh like that yeah interesting but yeah hopefully i mean if you're listening again if you loved beyond the infinite two minutes or if you're really into um one cut of the dead then this will definitely be your jam and it's really worth seeking out Okay, and then we had a little bit of a break for the rest of the summer because obviously you had a couple of releases fall through, didn't you, for various reasons? Yeah, um, Suicide Club uh, was was supposed to be out uh, at that time and um, and fell through. And people, obviously, the the Sonor thing has subsided, and people are, are now asking, especially because the American release was uh, was finally uh, released, the news of it, and um, people are asking when are you going to put it out for me. But but the reason why it fell through is because the price that I had agreed with the company was quite high because I had a lot of deals set up for it. Uh, and when the Sono allegations came out, uh, uh, that price would have been too much to carry on because all the other people that were going to work on the project and all the people that were going to buy it, uh, as in the uh, video on demand companies and such, all pulled, pulled out of the project. So it became a bit... Uh, and also the dollar went up at the same time uh, and I had orig originally agreed to film in dollars. So it all fell through. Yeah, well... Hopefully one day, but yeah, obviously it's it's a different a different environment now. Who knows? But then, so in October, uh, you released your follow up to uh, Obayashi's Anti War Trilogy with his eighties Kadokawa years. So you had um, a School in the Crosshairs from nineteen eighty one, uh, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time from nineteen eighty three, The Island Closest to Heaven from nineteen eighty four, and the fucking masterpiece that is his <laughs> Motorbike Her Island from nineteen eighty six. Yeah, it's a <laughs> wonderful collection. Um, yeah, and, and what I love is I, I love those those digipack Blu-ray boxes. Uh, I really think they're they're so lovely when they fold out like that. And uh, it's a really I'm quite proud of the release and the work put into it. And uh, yeah, it's it's a great great release. I think a hundred percent. And yeah, we tried to do a series of podcasts around it, and it, it that's when life got a bit too hectic and. That's why we've had such a long break between our last one and this one. But um, it's such a great release. And I think you've become a bit synonymous with Obayashi now, which is really cool. Um, people yeah, love no, him. When's the next one? When's the next one? When's the next one? Yeah, it's always a minute. Yeah, and then jumping over to December, you had a drift in Tokyo. So that's it. That, that, that's the third window year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I guess it was quite a lot because I mean it was only eight, eight releases, but since uh, one was two films uh, and one was four films, it did sort of uh, make it more than uh, a film a month. So, 
Yeah, not bad. exactly. So, yeah, so should we move on to our top tens then? No, that's what we, everyone wants to hear. We shall, we shall. Um, what do you want to do? Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Yeah, yeah, because uh, I've shown you an image of mine uh, and <laughs> and I've actually changed uh, one one film on that since I showed you the image. But, um, oh, nice. <laughs> but I, you, I don't know yours and I'm, I've been anticipating yours, so please. Uh, okay. Oh, that's cool. Well, first and foremost, uh, we do things a little bit differently, you and I. So you just do Japanese films, whereas I've, I I try and put in all East Asian cinema if I can, because I do watch a lot of different stuff. And um, yeah, uh, so that's what I've done. So there's a bit from all over in mine. Uh, what I will say, though, as well, is some of my top 10 this year were in your top 10 last year, because <laughs> I finally got around to seeing them. Um but I'll begin at the beginning. Uh, and another thing is that I like all of these films so much. So ranking them is kind of like a bit redundant. They're just mm. all my favorite films of the year. Mm. But I had to start off with um, one of my favorite people, and it's uh, Timo Gigento's The Big Four on, ah. on Netflix. I only just watched this a few weeks ago, mm. but uh, this film is so fucking good. And you know anyone who like doubts Timo's ability because I know there's there's a lot of weird haters out there for some reason um I see them all the time they jump into my dms or they comment on my posts being like oh Timo's fucking edgelord and all this stuff I'm like you're just wrong this guy's like the real deal the action set pieces in the film are like on fire um but this film more than anything else he's done before has like a real comedic kind of undertone to it and it gives the whole thing this vibe that like it's just so cool and infectious um i guess you haven't seen it right yeah you made me want to get another netflix subscription yeah. <laughs> i'm sure timo would happily send you a link to something um because he's a huge fan of you and what you do um yeah, we spoke for, for years. I mean, he's like uh, Gareth, uh, Gareth Evans, like he's just like a big film film lover um, and really into his genre stuff. So, but I'm glad that it's working out with him and he's being able to really make loads and loads of bigger and bigger films. He's Yeah, I spoke to him the other day and he he's loving working with Netflix Indonesia because mm. they're just giving him free reign. They're giving him loads of money and free reign and he's just doing what he wants. I mean, when it comes to Timo, it's always going to be his horror stuff that I kind of vibe with the most. You know, mm. like um, he did Macabre, which is so good. Um, or Killers. I don't know if you saw that one. That was the Japanese one he did. It's so I, brilliant. I, I saw it actually. He was there at the um, Foreign Correspondence Club in Japan with the cast uh, for a preview screening of it uh, many, many years ago. So, yeah, I did, uh, I did see it at the time then. I just thought it was just incredible. Um, and obviously the stuff he does with Shudder, like the VHS, um, he did uh, Safe Haven with Gareth Evans. They kind of co- co-directed that short and he had the subject in the latest one, which was the best thing that Shudder ever did. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I put in my review, I was like, if Netflix wants to fund insane action comedy romps like this, you know, I'll, I'll be here for it. Uh, and the way it ends, it's like, there's definitely going to be a big five. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, but obviously, he's just about to jump into the, the remake of Train to Busan, and he's actually got five films in development at, currently. Uh, so he's busy as fuck. And he has said to me he'll be on the podcast in 2023, but we just have to find the time. And I know that Gareth Evans has said the same, and you know it's hard to pin them down, but keep hoping. 
busy people, but uh, you know, I'm sure they're happy to to be having the work and being able to make whatever films they want. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so number nine I put down is uh, Dago Matsuri's Just Remembering, um, which was in your uh, top ten last year at number nine. Funnily oh, enough, there we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was just incredible. I saw this at this year's uh, London East Asian Film Festival um, with friends of the show, James Balmont and uh, your your subtitler Sayaki Rui. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's like this. It's an homage to um, Jim Jarmusch's Night on Earth, isn't it? Mm. It's yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like a love story told in reverse um, where we see the same day each year for the last kind of 10 years or something. Um, and it's always on his birthday. Um, Sasuke Ikematsu, right? From Killing. Sosuke Ikematsu, yes. Sosuke, sorry. Um, and yeah, I was just like, I was just won over by it, basically. Um, I've always found Matsui's films quite interesting, but... Mm. They, they kind of work within a familiar narrative structure, but they have something that's a bit unique about them. And as the film started, uh, it's like this romantic drama kind of thing. And I, I wasn't fully invested, but as it goes along, I was just getting more and more into what he was doing and what he was saying and how he was using time and structure. Mm. And by the end of it, I was like, this is, this is fucking incredible. Um, definitely one of the best films I saw all year. Also, I think that the main two actors are just like two of the best young youngish actors i mean ito saidi is very young but um i think they're yeah. just the two best in japan i mean you know sosuke kamaku was in uh tsukamoto's killing as well and uh you know he's just a, he's a wonderful and uh wonderful wonderful actor and ito saidi is i mean she was in we gave her her uh her love and other cults yeah love and yeah. other cults and um she's now one of the absolute biggest names in japan um so I'm happy because love another cult's royalties keep on coming in because of her. <laughs> oh, love when that happens. But yeah, it also has this really interesting thing where it starts during the COVID pandemic. And mm. I, before I knew it was going to be a reverse order film, I was like, oh shit, this is a COVID film. Everyone's wearing masks. And, mm. and then it cuts back to a year before no one's wearing masks. You're like, oh, okay. I get it now. But um, yeah, that's, I think that's going to be a really big one when it comes out or gets big uh, distribution finally. Okay, number eight was uh, Kensuke Sonomura's Bad City. Ah. Uh, I just, yeah. You've seen this one, right? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. Uh, and f funnily enough, I, I missed the ending of it, uh, which apparently is the, the part that everybody loves. Oh, my God. Like, the last half hour of that film is just pure V-cinema action bliss. Mm. Uh, yeah. So he's got, like, Hitoshi Ozawa... Um, basically, he's like 60 now, but he's still an absolute beast. Um, and it's got like Lily Frankie in it and uh, Tak Sakaguchi just like chewing up their scenes and just having the time of their lives, um, just playing these like deplorable characters. Um, and yeah, it's just like this mad action. Like it's got like this cheeky energy to it, but, but the fight scenes are just brutal. I didn't see, uh, Sonomura did a previous film called Hydra, which is like a 75-minute, mm. just like apparently like intense kind of raid film. Um, I've not seen that, but I, I have to check it out. because It was released the... in America by like um, quite a big distribution company, which which one I forgot, but um, it was like a proper big release of it. Uh, so it's it's available. And I think it's on like that, um, I think it's Yiwu or something, the um, action VOD company in America. So it's, it's, re it's pretty available. It's quite low budget. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll find it for sure. But I think Bad City is going to be a bit of a cult classic 
because I mean, Azara was like in so much stuff, wasn't he? Like he's been in, he's been in like Mike stuff and like what? Yeah, and um, eighties and nineties. Uh, mm, big big name. I mean, this the th- the thing about this actually the company who who made this Rights Cube are quite a relatively new company who are sort of like make good quality V cinema. Yeah, and. All their films, so they, they had a new one out recently called Old School, which is just uh, or it's just about, about to be released in Japan, and uh, it's also another like very good quality V cinema film. I mean, visually, it's it doesn't look like V cinema, but it has that sort of V cinema feelings to it. And and Bad City is like that. It's like a an old school V cinema film, but looks like a Korean film. Um, yeah, which is it's exactly how you want it to be uh, uh, in that respect. Uh, so it's uh, I think they're they're making a lot of interesting films, and and Bad City is it's got it picked up. Uh, it's getting picked up in in France and in America and loads of countries for release, so it should be quite available next year. Perfect. Oh yeah, I'm, I've been raving about it to every one of my friends who's into action. And like Sonomura, apparently, like spent years as a fight choreographer and like an action mm. director before doing his own films. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it kind of has that. Um, uh, well, the, the John Wick guys, isn't it? David Leitch or whatever. Like they they were making action for years before they decided to make their own action film. Mm. And obviously then when it comes out, it kind of changes the game because it's so intense. Um, I don't think this one's going to change the game, but it is a fucking great time. And I, I can't wait to see it again. Mm. <clears throat> okay, so next one is uh, Robert Jabba's uh, The Sadness. Uh, I don't know if you see it. Yeah. I did finally see that. Um, yeah, it's, it is really good, isn't it? This film fucked me up. Like... Yeah. I'd, I would, this was one that I heard about on the festival circuit and people were sort of saying they were passing out or throwing up or, um, you know, th- it should be banned, that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I have to find this. And I was, I was trialing everywhere to just get it like, and like, honestly, by hook or by crook, just anything, I would do anything <laughs> to find it. And I couldn't. And then Shudder just dropped it. Like mm. they picked it up and dropped it out of nowhere. Um, and yeah, I saw, just like how like Gareth Evans went to Indonesia and just like changed the game with the raid, it felt like Rob just went to Taiwan and just was like, "You think you know the zombie genre? Well, here you go, hold my beer." And it was just insane. Like, it's it's category three for sure, um, and it's got such depraved shit in it. Like, oh, I mean, yeah, yeah I, it keeps on yeah. going, doesn't it? It's just like nonstop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was genuinely shocked, though, by how savage some of the scenes were, because it's not just, like, people, like, eating faces and stuff. Like, um, it goes, like, proper Ebola syndrome shit, where, like, the, the, the zombies are, like, really rapey, and, like, a lot of the psychosexual stuff is, like, really discomforting to see. <laughs> um, like, there's things done with sexual organs that are pretty hard to comprehend. But um, I'm just such a fan of horror and anything that can make me kind of sit up and take notice because i see so much of it now that it's kind of just water of a duck's back and this film just left me kind of like gobsmacked i was like this is fucking insane um so it had to go on the list yeah proper 2022 cat 3 film 100 percent. and then you'd think that was the most fucked up film on this list probably but then straight after that comes one that i saw a little bit later which is kim hong sun's project wolf hunting uh yeah i haven't seen it yet uh I, i'm i'm waiting i'm uh, i'm it's on my list for sure because everybody's been raving about it for so long that um yeah it's a must see apparently it's one of the wildest things i've seen all year and after just talking about the sadness that sounds a bit insane to say uh. but um 
the story is so silly and over the top, but like the bloodletting and the violence just keeps escalating to like fever pitch. Um, and yeah, it's a bit like Con Air meets Resident Evil. Um, I don't know. It's it's just absolute bananas. I won't spoil it, but it's kind of one of those leave your brain at the door films. Um, but it's just so well done and so confident and so different to anything else really you'll see all year. So yeah, I really, really want to. Maybe I'll watch it tonight. <laughs> yeah, try if you can. Um, all right, and then I went for a hard, hard right hand swerve for the next one. Um, had to go something a bit arty again, but it was undeniable. It had to be on the list. It was uh, Park Chan Wook's decision to leave. Mm. Um, have you seen that one yet? Yeah, I saw it on the plane, uh, which is probably not the best place to watch a film like that. But um, what can I do? Uh, and uh, it's yeah, Park Chan. I mean, he's it's great, and all his films are great. But to be honest, I didn't like it as much, or I didn't as some of his other films. Um, I think it. I don't know why, uh, but I just didn't think it was as good, or maybe as I was expecting, or or it's good for sure, but not. It didn't really get me as much as uh, his other films. I was going to say it doesn't eclipse like the Vengeance trilogy or you know um, Thirst or even like The Handmaiden for me. But it, I just thought like it was it was fantastic. It is one of the best films of the year. I mean, uh, I think his name's Kim Ji Yong. It's uh, he DP'd the film, and it's his first collaboration with Park. But I just thought like it looked incredible. Like I know people sort of like sound a bit wanky but saying oh the frame looked like a painting but like they literally do with this film like it looks like a gorgeous watercolor painting half the time um yeah, yeah I just that's, a, that's it. a given with, with park chan look i mean all his films look and look and they're so uh technically amazing as well yeah totally yeah. but i thought even narratively like so right it's kind of a love story like this one a bit of a mm. twisted one and it's got this like hotch hotch hitchcockian mystery in the middle of it which is kind of cool um, and it, it, it's not really a murder mystery. It's not like a who done it, but it's like why did they do it, and mm. why is the whole thing so sexy? Like why are they getting so into each other? Um, I thought it was really cool, and there's like this central performance by this actress called Tang Wei, who I just thought was fucking incredible. Um, and actually, I was talking about how it reminded me of Thirst because Kim Ok Bin uh, in Thirst kind of had the same energy, and I just mm. thought she was so good in that too. Um, but I doubt there's anyone listening to this podcast that hasn't seen this film yet. So it almost felt like I should just leave it off the list. Like he doesn't need more, uh, he doesn't need more hype, but yeah. yeah. If you love it, you love it, you know, what can you, if it's a great film, then you can't really say much elsewise. For sure. Okay. So my next one of which I, I forget where we're at now, I think I'm like number four, <laughs> um, was your number one of last year. And it's Keske Yoshida's intolerance. Uh, yeah. And yeah. and actually, I, the Japan Foundation just released their touring film program of next year, and it's on there, so more people can catch it up in the UK, at least. Uh, I just spoke to James Belmont, um, sent me the list and said, is there anything on here that I should be, you know, really keeping my eye out for? And I said, intolerance is like number one with a bullet. Just, it's brutal. It's, it's, uh, it's one of the most moving dramas I've seen in a really long time. Um. It's hard to explain it, isn't it? Like the the number of characters that get dragged into this one tragic event, and how like all, all of them have their own arcs, but they're all quite depressing and <laughs> really upsetting. Um, 
Yeah. yeah it's got and a also, sort of Yi Chang Dong sort of feel to it as well. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. That's yeah. a really good shout, actually. Yeah. Because mm. I was saying, you know, if you hate a character on screen, then you know the performance is just incredible because mm. they're, they're bringing that hate out of you. Well, Arata Ferrata, sorry, Arata Ferrata, I think is his name. Mm. Um, he plays the dad of the girl that gets killed. Uh, he is such a piece of shit to every okay. single person he sees. And he's got this like vindictive nature that's so toxic and it just oozes off the screen. And it just, you're watching him just ruin lives and it's so hard to watch. But I was like, he is smashing this role so much. Mm. Um, it's not a film I think I could watch again anytime soon. Yeah, um, you're right about that. Uh, it's, a, it's a great first one-time film, I think. Yeah, but yeah, it had to be on the list. It blew me away. Okay, this is number three. It was another one I saw at the London East Station Film Festival. And honestly, uh, this guy, this director, is one of my favourite discoveries of the year. And I can tell I'm going to be a fan forever or until they get cancelled. <laughs> um, is Shinzo Katayama's Missing. Um which I know was on your your list last year as well, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think his previous film was also on my list from the year that that was out, which is Siblings of the Cape. Siblings of the Cape. Fantastic. Uh, very, yeah, very de divisive film, but uh, uh, fantastic in its own way. His films are so disturbing um, and uncomfortable, but they're so confidently made and so well-structured. Um like to say this one missing packs of punches an understatement like i had it was the last film i saw at the festival and i had to get the train back straight after and i just sat on the train just like gobsmacked and i was thinking the more i thought about it so he kind of trained under uh bong joon ho didn't he mm -hmm. well he was like camera assistant or assistant director on some director, of Bong's films. Yeah. um but yeah so then i went back and saw siblings from the cape which oh man like if you talk about tackling m morality and what's right and what's wrong like he doesn't shy away from it at all um but yeah like the story is quite a simple one like it's really complex but it's a simple setup it's where like um th there's a daughter trying to find her father who basically has said i've I, I saw an advert saying they're looking for this serial killer and they've got a reward i've seen him i'm gonna hand i'm gonna hand him over to the police and then he goes missing so it's this young girl trying to find her dad but mm. then the, the weaves it goes down is so clever and so intense um i just loved it um, yeah it's 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 very bong, bong joon ho to be honest uh in in many respects but also has that it that japanese vibe to it and also yeah the acting uh performances by everyone is great and it's such a well shot uh as well it's it's actually released in america recently in cinemas so it's uh it shows how well it's uh, been able to travel. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Mm. But yeah, it's really dark. I think I'd say to people, like, beware. Like, it, it is really dark. But if you're into that, then fucking hell, go for it. It's amazing. <clears throat> okay, number two. This is, a, this is a special one, actually. Um, and the story behind it is pretty mad. It's, uh, it's a guy called Keishi Kondo's uh, New Religion. <laughs> Um, and basically, yeah, the story behind it is I couldn't go to Fright Fest this year as my daughter was in hospital. Um, so I missed the whole thing. But, but New Religion was one of the things I was really looking forward to because it was one of the few Japanese films on the program. Um, so I messaged Keishi on, on Twitter and kind of explained how sad I was that I missed the screening. And he, he sent me over a screener link straight away. And I was just so thankful. So I watched it like that minute. 
and was basically completely blown away by it. Um, so I actually messaged you straight after and I was like, dude, have you seen this film? It's, it's amazing. And you said uh, you'd actually had the screener in the, your, your inbox for a while, but I don't think you'd gotten around to it just yet. Um, so I said, put it to the top of your list and you did. And I think like a day or two later, we talked back and you were like, yeah, okay, I agree. This film is fucking fantastic. It's like this weird, haunting, um, like hypnotic art house expression of guilt and trauma, but like with this super bold cinematography and this really ominous score. I mean, it was made for peanuts, I think. I think Kaishi was saying like, it's not, it's not got a big budget, but it looks like a million bucks. Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, it was made for like less than something like Beyond the Infinite two minutes. I mean, mainly because nobody got paid. But um, at the same time, you know, I think because he put so much of his own just time into it, into making every aspect of it, uh, and and that's why he was able to make it for so cheap. But um, but um, yes, he's uh, it's a it's on my best ten as well. So uh, I'll talk oh, about cool. it. <laughs> well, yeah, like it. For, for people wondering like what the kind of vibe is it's kind of like a like a brandon or david cronenberg film but like hooked up with david lynch and then like spun through this weird like photographic j-horror kind of uh you know system it's it's a trip it's really unique and uh yeah i can't wait for everyone to to see this because i know everyone that saw it at fright fest was just raving about it i i saw so many four and five star reviews and people just loving it yeah, one for the big screen as well. I think it's a completely different feeling if you watch it uh, in the cinema compared to uh, on, on your computer or TV. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It kind of like hooks you in and, yeah, like I said, hypnotizes you. I was just transfixed. It just looks incredible. All right, and now number one. And this, honestly, I can't believe I'm saying this is my film of the year. I really can't, but it, it is. Do you have a guess? Actually, I can't. I don't know what. Really? What it is. Yeah. Oh, I thought. I thought oh. the fact that you haven't heard it before, you would have been like, "Oh, I know what it's going to be." Uh, it's Shinji Higuchi's Shin Ultraman. Ah, um, ah! I know you liked it, but I didn't. I didn't think it would be your, your number one. I just haven't stopped thinking about it since I saw it. I was like, "This." It was so much better than I was ever expecting, and I even went into it with high hopes. Like, I'm not familiar with Ultraman at all. Like, I don't know any of the source material. Um, I went into it knowing it was kind of like a spiritual successor to Shin Godzilla, and it's going to be in the same universe as Shin Kamen Rider, and it's all kind of goes together in this Shin universe. Um, and it starts off with this, like, massive montage of kaiju monsters and this this, this huge epic. Um but then the narrative just gets so much sillier and things get really goofy and I just couldn't stop laughing. I had so much fun with it. I thought the way it was shot and edited and, and performed and paced was just so fucking good. Um, it felt very modern, like it has a great modern look to it, but it's got these vibes that are clearly like a love letter to, to the original series. Um, and yeah, as I said, like the pacing was just so quick. Like it just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. And it's two hours, but it just flies by. And I just absolutely loved it. <laughs> I know you were saying this, like you were you were kind of amazed at how how well it turned out, right? Well, I I work for a film festival in Switzerland called New Chantel, which is a big genre film festival, and we gave the film its international premiere. But I was tracking the film 
because it was a film that we were thinking about or wanting to to consider for the film festival. And the film was released a week or so before our film festival screening in July, I think, around that time or end of June. And I would kept on mailing them like, when can we get a screen? And they're like, the film's not finished yet. And I'm like, <laughs> and but like that was like, all right, when I first was bugging them, it was like a few months before. And then it was like a month before. And then it was like two or three weeks before the Japanese film's release. And they were like, it's not finished yet. And I was like, yeah, how, like the film's out in like two weeks. Like, what do you mean it's not finished? <laughs> like, like, it's not finished. And like, and I was like, oh, you know, because in these major studio films where you need, which open up in like, in Japan, like three, 400 screens, like you obviously, like Hollywood, you, you set the release date first and then you make the film up to that release date. Because you sure. need to block block that release date to make sure the cinemas uh, give you enough screens for it. But um, apparently, obviously, you know, with COVID and all that, it, it delayed everything, and it was like up until really the last minute they were making it. So, first of all, I thought because Shin Godzilla is um, Higuchi and Anno, and I thought this time it's just Higuchi who made like films like Attack on 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 Titan, which are fucking sh- are fucking yeah, shit. Yeah, they're and, awful. Yeah, I mean, he's he's comes from you know like more. Uh, uh, tokusatsu effects like more than being an actual mm. film director and um like i was like this is gonna be fucking shit like if if it's like so last minute and a plus from like only one half of of the shingo did team who's in essence the bad half you know it's gonna be shit and yeah and when i saw it i thought i was very very surprised um i actually thought it was really really fun and uh i think saito takumi is not a good actor at all but i think that um the way that his character was done that sort of like very stony faced actually yeah, worked like alien. Well. <laughs> alien yeah i think because his yeah. i think that worked perfectly with with uh, his acting uh, ability or lack thereof so um <laughs> you know you it, don't pull yeah, your punches do you well but uh you know what can what can i say no 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 totally <laughs> i i do know what you mean yeah. but i agree <laughs> but yeah, yeah you're right i mean i wouldn't put it in my, in my best film but i think it was a it was a very good film and very very surprising it's just been another really stressful, upsetting year in my like, <laughs> personal life. And like, so any films that are either like super horrific or really funny and fun, that was kind of like what I, what I just vibed with. And this one just came at the right time. It completely cheered up my day. And um, I just can't wait to own it on Blu-ray and just watch it over and over and over again. And it's funny, you know, because obviously, like you say, it's a Shinji Higuchi film, but it's got Hideaki Anno's prints all over it. Like, the shots are so all over the place, and he does so many edits and quick edits, and I don't think there's a single setup that's the same. It's just constantly moving and changing angle and doing these funny things. It just reminded me of all of Hideaki Anno's um, live-action stuff that I've seen, you know? Well, he was a part of it. I mean... Uh, oh, yeah, he wrote I, it, he produced yeah. it. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, of course. Um and I'm sure Higuchi was emulating him anyway, Anno's any anyway, because uh, he, yeah. like everyone, Anno is like a god to them. So, um, you know, For sure. that, that that helped. I mean, it's so different to Shin Godzilla, which I loved, and I know you hated it. Yeah. You were like, it's a fucking. Why would you make a monster movie about boardrooms? Like, it doesn't make sense. Well, it makes and... sense, but it's just pre- pretentious. Like, you know, Ultraman <laughs> uh, was here, yeah, like the what Shin Godzilla was not i mean it was just more entertaining and, and fun and like a, I mean because it's a it's not it's not reality that sort of thing you know it's a yeah it's a monster movie but but there is like an element of realism to ultraman and not realism but they do have that whole like boardroom mm. um like looking yeah i don't know i i, I just could not be more excited for shin Kamen rider now 
Um, I still haven't seen the Amazon show yet, but I'm definitely going to watch it. And uh, yeah, I'm sure Shin Kamen Rider will be on my top 10 next year as well. <laughs> and I think they've already sold it to Amazon Worldwide. Um, so uh, Amazon or Netflix or something like that. So it should be pretty available to everybody in the world um, when it comes out. Awesome. But that's it. That's my lot. Um, I've actually, I've done a top 20. Um, so what I'll do is I'll, I've done it on Letterbox. So I'll share the link um, in the description of the podcast and I'll put it on our link tree so people can see like my top 20. There's a lot more in there, but um, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see your top 20 as well because uh, I do need to catch up on some non-Japanese films uh, and, <laughs> and, and give my brain a rest, to be honest. <laughs> okay i'm excited to hear what you've got though because i know you you get to see i mean you get to see stuff that like no one else has seen like you know i'm talking like 50 people right yeah but this year i wasn't able to see as much uh mainly with a with a kid and also uh moving outside of tokyo and living in the countryside uh and also obviously with with covid and all it's still a big much bigger thing in japan but um so i think i only got to see like 130 japanese films which is uh I mean, mainly the films that uh, I'd like to preface mine by saying that I didn't get to see films like uh, Love Life, um, the Fukada mm. Koji film, or A Man, which uh, are the films that are on everybody else's best 10. Uh, so I have to preface mine by saying that. But I did see Plan 75 and didn't put it on my list, because, which everyone else has put it on their list, because it's just not really a film that I, I, I appreciate, but it was a bit uh, too French for me, to be honest. Well, I was surprised when I so I got round to seeing most of your top ten of last year, mm. and whilst I enjoyed them all, I was like some of them. I was like, these wouldn't even these are like three stars for me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I think Journey Beyond the Night was one where you really liked that film, and I was like, I, I dig it, but it's not top ten for me anyway, personally. Yeah, actually, I mean, uh, Journey for Beyond the Night. I think a lot of times, maybe my best ten is more a lot of films that I might appreciate what they're trying to do a little more than a film that might be better but have the opportunity to be better by having a bigger budget a bigger name and more people involved so in, every year my best friends are like that i think it's um especially that yeah, yeah especially six to ten the first five are usually uh because maybe i think i can't find 10 amazing films that i've loved over the year and i and this year's the same i think all of them especially uh six to, to ten uh last year and this year are are more about films that are maybe three, four stars that uh, I do have to give props uh, to what they've tried to do more than maybe if they're able to accomplish it fully or not. Um, but, sure. you know, anybody, it's a lot easier to make a good film with like a big name cast, a lot of money and uh, a lot of time and all that sort of stuff that, that, than, you know, a small film that doesn't have any money and no, no names attached. Uh, so, that well, yeah, your whole like ethos that. is trying to get small films seen by a wider audience. So the fact that you do that with your top ten is cool as well. So, yeah, I mean, maybe if maybe things like Love Life and A Man might not fit into my top ten because of those reasons. So, um, but anyway, let me uh, go into it. Uh, number ten, uh, Angry Sun, is a is a a very small. It's one of three sort of uh, uh, gay films that are on on my list, and and actually quite. Um, uh, new uh, in that respect for for Japanese cinema, it's not been, been uh, or a culture that uh, has talked much about uh, gay. And in in this in this chain, it's done by a transgender director, and also not just about uh, being gay, but being uh, half Filipino. 
So it's right. uh, it's uh, all sorts of minorities uh, in one in a country that doesn't really like them. And the, the reason why I, I like this film is that because the director's previous film, also about uh, transgender uh, themes, was uh, a little more heavy drama. And I think it can be a little hard to get into films that are so thick in uh, in trying to get a point across when they're just flat dramas and the thing about yeah. angry sun is that it's it's quite entertaining um which is uh why i uh, i liked it um uh, so that was number 10 and number 9 is a uh, a film called your lovely smile which is by a taiwanese director called uh, kawai lim and this is a film about a uh, a very I, I, I wonder if you could say meta or, or type film uh, about a, uh, a director who is traveling all around Japan to Japanese mini theaters to get them to play his films. And okay. this, uh, this director is actually uh, in real life, a director called Hirobumi Watanabe, um, who's I put in, I remember many years ago, I made the new directors from Japan series. Yeah. And he was uh, a director from that series um, and ended up, going on to be quite a, a popular name on the festival circuit in Japan. And this is a film that sort of t- sort of pokes fun at him. He plays himself in a way. And um, and he, he makes some really sort of like hardcore art house films, uh, apart from like his sort of comedy films that I like. And it's about like him going to these, these independent film fest, independent cinemas that are barely making their, their, their ends meet, showing major films and trying to get them to program his like hardcore art house films. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, so it's, it's really pe- poking fun of it himself as well. And it's, um, the film has its faults, but it's uh, for what it tries to accomplish and what it tries to shine a light on, which is uh, the, 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 the situation of Japanese uh, independent mini theaters at this time of COVID is, is uh, makes it uh quite an important watch um that sounds uh, cool what's that called your, your lovely smile yeah your lovely smile um you know i was thinking maybe I, I might want to release it next year especially if i can package it with one of the director's previous films so maybe i'll, I'll, I'll put it out uh, I'm it still, does sound like it has potential as a third window film yeah it does it has a potential for a third film that doesn't sell but um but I think a lot of people are watching it, especially in Japan. In Japan, it's become quite popular, so um, you never know. Cool. Um, number eight is uh, sort of the the anti Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, which is a sort of a, a film called Mondays. Um, a sort ah, of yes, yeah. It, it was a huge hit in Japan, an independent hit. Um, really, really became a big film with repeaters and uh, got like a quite a big. A box office turnover considering it was just a, a small-ish independent film isn't it like uh groundhog day mixed with office space basically exactly exactly it's it's like a, a a chaotic office that is stuck in a time loop um of every right. week repeats itself yeah i i've i've heard about this i haven't seen it yet but um i really want to it's supposed to be very funny and clever and cute yeah, I mean, it's it's why I say it's the anti Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes is that it it's directed by a commercial director and it looks very good. It's very quick edited. It's very fast. It's very fun, but when you actually think about it, like the time travel on it doesn't really work. All oh, right, okay. So, but it's it's done so fast and and uh, and colorful and vibrant that you sort of like, well, let's just forget that and have fun with it and. Uh, and in that case, it's not really a sort of uh, five-star film, but it's something that's trying something different and uh, 
and having fun with it. And it's a very easy watch. Uh, I think it's quite easy for, for people to, 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 to enjoy. That's yeah, that's a really good point though. Like Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes and Summer Time Machine Blues, they both stand up to scrutiny when you kind of look at the the time travel elements. Like mm. you can yeah, but I suppose something like Groundhog Day really doesn't when you start to pick it apart. But <laughs> in, in that <laughs> no, case, I, this is like a Hollywood film in that respect, because uh, like Back yeah. to the Future and all those Hollywood films don't actually stand up for, for but but they keep the audience entertained for long enough that they don't think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I'm gonna try and catch that before the end of the year. But um that sounds cool. Yeah, I'm interested to, to to hear what anybody thinks about it because it hasn't. Um, be, nobody's really seen it outside of Japan, so it, it's. Uh... How, how how does that work though? Right, when you say it's been a big hit and there's been loads of repeat business and people going again and again, like surely that's going to try and get an international release, right? Well, uh, you know, I think the production company behind it weren't really thinking about that so much, um, and it wasn't up. They didn't even have like a sales agent to sell it overseas until like last week. You know, you know, I don't know why. Maybe they just weren't really, really thinking about the international market. And, um, mm. you know, you need somebody to make the effort to do that, to subtitle it, to uh, bring it to film festivals. And if you don't have the know-how and somebody doesn't come along and do it for you, then, you know, it probably takes time to you to become popular in your native country and then people other sales agents figure that out and say like oh let's try to bring this overseas right okay well yeah watch this space maybe this time next year we'll have some news Mm. okay so um uh the next one is another film that that uh is not a five-star film at all but uh you have to commend it for what it's trying to do and it's a film called alien artist by a very very young first-time director called uh, seo hoya and it played at the Kanazawa Film Festival, which is always has unique um, films from from young directors. Uh, a film, Dobugawa Dream, came from premiered at that film festival many years ago, and I loved that as well. Um, this is a film that's just mental, and uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the poster now, and it looks absolutely batshit. Yeah, it's like it's like this sort of future film about this sort of like rapper, like god character that's controlling the people, but then like the people within the people that are being controlled, like there are others that are trying to bring down the government and like, apart from that's like one half of the film. And then like out of, and that's like really crazy and colorful and like quickly edited. And it's like, it's like spy film and, and a rap film and everything. And then it just like completely out of nowhere becomes this like black and white, like film set in a school, like, like, about, like, <laughs> it's like, like drawing, drawing like an, like a, um, a manga about that's the story that we've seen right. and then it turns into like this a crazy animation at the end like it's it's probably too crazy and it is really low budget like in, considering what they try to do with with the story it's it's insane that they've been able to accomplish what they've been able to accomplish for like it's essentially no budget at all right uh like a student film uh but um yeah it's it's the black and white kids bit does drag on for a bit too long and sort of kill the energy of it but um just for, for what they try to do, I think it's uh, worth watching. Uh, it, well, I'm sure nobody can ever watch it. No. <laughs> well, I've seen a few reactions on Letterboxd. So someone's seen it somewhere. Um, and like English-speaking people as well, because of English reviews. So, um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I, it looks really cool. I don't know if it's going to get international distribution, but it looks like it'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, it did play at the... Um, uh, Puchon Film Festival, which obviously is Asia, but um, a film festival in Korea that, that fo- 
focuses on genre films and that's where it got its uh international premiere but after that it's gone, gone nowhere so um I mean, even it wasn't easy to track down a screener with subtitles anyway. So, and the subtitles were terribly bad. So, um, <laughs> you know, the, it, that's that's when you know when you're a, a small director, then you don't really have the know-how to um, help your film get out there. I guess not like New Religion, which uh, we'll speak about later. But yes, the director was very very smart about approaching people internationally, and speaking English was a big thing for him. Mm. Awesome. Uh, number six is um, December, which is Anshul Chahan. Um, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but he's an, an Indian director that lives in Japan making Japanese films. And his film Contra was um, my ah, favorite yeah. film of like two, three years ago. Yep, yep, yep. Contra is supposed to... I, get, I didn't see it, but that's been getting praised left, right and center. Oh, it's amazing. And actually, the, the main actress of Contra, uh, Juan Marui, is in uh, the lead actress of Mondays. Um, she's becoming uh, oh, cool. very popular recently. But um, December is the complete opposite to Contra, which was like a three hour long black and white experimental film. And this is like a 90 minute courtroom drama. So it's, it's, it couldn't be any, any different. Right. And it's, it's also not really, I think, a, a five star film, but. Um, for what they're trying to do, I mean, it's very hard to make courtroom dramas, and in Japan, they they they, they tend to be quite they they can be quite boring. Um, all the ones I've ever seen from Japan, and this one, I think that the acting uh, is really really good by everyone, and um, I think having a, a foreign director and also a foreign cameraman uh, and uh, music composer, I think, gives it a quite an international feel to it. So it's it's quite an entertaining watch, um, if anything. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the poster and it looks very, I don't want to sound like too dismissive, it looks very generic, like it's just got all the bunch of faces looking like serious. Well, it is a bit generic, to be honest, but I think the acting across the wall, and actually the director was, he was picked up by like CAA, or one of the very big American talent management agencies. So I think maybe this poster has some sort of connection to that. It's quite like a Hollywood style poster, does isn't it? Uh, with all the yeah, yeah, and I think that's you know he's, <laughs> because it's quite international in that respect. It looks uh, like a Matt Damon film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and it does feel like cool. a, a bit of a Matt Damon film. And Shogun, Shogun, uh, who's also in Your Lovely Smile, is this uh, Okinawan actor who uh, speaks English fluently and uh, is probably was in a, a film called Gezen Punch, which is um, by the. Um, Philippine director, Brilliant Mendoza. Okay. Yes, I believe so. Um, but uh, he's he's becoming uh, more and more popular and he's uh, quite a good good actor. Nice. Uh, Top five now. So these are the, these are the big ones. Yeah, these, these are, are, really these are the five-star ones. Um, it, they always are. I can always find five five-star films uh, and they always go in the top five and then the, the, the end up, I was going back and forth, changing them at the last minute. But um, uh, yeah, Number five is a, a small, slow but steady, which is uh, in most people's top fives. It was in uh, Berlin. It's by uh, Miyaki Show, and it's about a deaf uh, boxer, um, which uh, obviously is is quite rare. And uh, it's interesting, uh, very well shot on sixteen millimeter. Uh, Show Miyake is a director who I've always found to be a bit pretentious, but he, he makes he makes he's making more and more accessible or less pretentious films. Um, as he mm. gets older, I guess uh, his playback, his first film, I thought I found incredibly pretentious. Um, but uh, his um, after then, he's gone to strengths of strengths, and I think this is his um, his best film. It's uh, got a really really good flow to it. It also stars um, uh, what's his name from um, his motorbike car island, uh, Tomika Tomikazu Mirida. 
who we were talking about earlier in the show um from yeah. Drift in Tokyo and he gives a really good yeah, performance yeah. as well it's it's a really good um film and I'm sure it'll become uh, a lot easier to see uh, uh because it's played at so many film festivals and getting picked up does he play the uh trainer <laughs> he does he does yeah I can totally see him in that role <laughs> But he, he plays the trainer different to what you'd expect, and I think that's what the sort of the strength of the film. It's quite subtle in in all it. It's it's very simple film. Cool. Um, next one is uh, yeah, a director that's on almost every top ten list uh, every year is uh, Shuichi Okita's The Fish Tale. What else uh, have they made before? Okita, he made last year. He made One Summer Story, which was on my top ten. But also the films yeah. that I've released, like A Woodsman in the Rain and and uh, Story of Yonosuke. Uh, yes, of course. All his films are about two and a half hours long. Um, which before I watched them, I'm like, fucking hell. And but <laughs> when you watch them, like it just goes right by. And uh, he, I guess he's that's part of his talent is that he can just take keep you entertained for for however long the running time. Yeah, for sure. What's this one about? Because the poster looks mental. <laughs> this is about a true person. Uh, this is quite a strange story, I should tell them. There's a, a, a guy called Sakana-kun, who is this very crazy Japanese guy that loves fish. Okay. And he's really, he wears a fish hat and he's like, he talks in a very strange way. And he's, he's, he's a TV personality, but he's also quite a strange person. And apparently, um, uh, well, actually, my wife was like set up like by his mother to like look about maybe marrying this, this guy apparently oh my god <laughs> like apparently they're, 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 their parents were very close and um like he was like a, a constant constantly uh single and um <laughs> like like <laughs> they, they apparently my wife was like like and she like like she went on a like a couple of dates with him because like their parents had like set it up, but like it didn't work. And I and it's very easy to to say why it didn't work because he's in this film as well, and like he's like he's totally mental. And the character that, that non um the actress plays, she's of him. Like you you can tell like she's just this mental person, but it's it's like sort of that charming idiot type type uh, uh character that is uh, very easy to fall in love with. Um and. Uh, very fun movie to watch it's a typical okita uh type type film yeah now you've mentioned his previous stuff i'd I'd know what you mean and this is yeah i'll definitely seek this one out that's going to be my jam for sure yeah i'm sure to be on like some japan foundation program soon enough it's yeah. that sort of film it's it's a uh, yeah it's it's easy to watch uh and uh top three is yes um new religion is number three uh nice. same, same you know i, I think it does have its flaws um it's a beautifully atmospheric film and you have to give it props for the lack of budget and the the effort that the director put into it in every aspect of it not for just the production of it but also the distribution and um his attempts at bringing it worldwide is is uh all by himself it's he's really a, a fantastic person and this is a debut film as well makes it even more yeah. impressive so it's a uh, it's a film that really deserves to be on the big screen. I know people; some people have faults with it, and I understand their faults uh, with the fact that it does lack a lot of uh, meaning to what's going on. But but uh, I know, love I, that though. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, I, some of my favorite films are like completely unintelligible. Like it's all just you, you get out of it what you put into it. You know. Yeah, I mean, but then again, you know, Kurosawa Kyoshi, when he at his best, when he makes that sort of atmospheric film, like you can, it does have a pretty solid base to it, uh, 
more than this, I think. But then again, Kurosawa Kyoshi is working uh, with a lot with like Yakusho Koji and like you know, as well as like big production companies. And this is like a pretty much one man show. For, so for that, you have to really give it all the props that you can. I got in a bit of trouble um, because you know when I watch my films and I talk about them, and, and people always love the enthusiasm, but I tend to take screenshots and I put them up. And Kaishi messes me straight away. He goes like, "Please take these down." I was like. Oh man, sorry. Like I thought I was helping market the film for you. And he was like, no, 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 I don't want this out. And I was like, I had to think about it afterwards. Cause for me, I was like, if I saw these pictures, I'd be like, well, that has now gone into my must see list of the year. But I guess from another perspective, it's like there's secrets they want to keep, you know, as long as possible. And even just like an image that doesn't really make much sense by itself out of context to them is very precious. So, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's one thing, but also one other thing that the Westerners don't really think about is that um, in Japan, it's really complicated to get permission to use photos, uh, right. to use for promoting films. And as a viewer, you're like, well, I can just like screenshot this and put it up. So like, why does there need to be permission given? But like in Japan is really old fashioned because it's not really, you don't really think of those things. And especially companies like Johnny's Entertainment who are the biggest mm -hmm. uh, talent agency, like they're like, like, they won't allow like any photos. And if you put like a photo of their actor up on the internet that is not authorized, they'll like come down on you like a sack of bricks. Mm. I mean, even to the point that like, for example, when I released, um, I think it was like Low Life Love or, or something like that, there was a, a magazine called um, like a film magazine. And, I, and they had a review of that magazine in, they reviewed all of my film uh, in that magazine. So I was like, mm. all right, let me take a photo of the magazine and put it up on, on like, <laughs> our account. And I say like, hey, everyone, like, you should like read this magazine that's on the bookshelf, that on the, that's in the, in the, in the shelves that, um, it has, cause it has a review of our film. And then I got, and I put it up and then I got all these mails, like take that photo down. Like, and that was just a photo of a magazine. <laughs> wow. But because the magazine had a, the magazine's front image was a Johnny's person, it's like, you can't put that on the internet. And it's like, it's like a fucking magazine cover. Like, that should be used to promote the magazine. But like yeah. in Japan, when you're like, that magazine is up uh, on the internet, it's just like a, um, where that fo person's photo would be, it's just like a black mark. <laughs> So it's like here's oh, the new wow. magazine, and it's like this black like line through it. It's like it says, okay, the the person who's front of the magazine is this major actor or so, but um, you know, it's still just like a black. You, his, his photo is not actually allowed to be used on the internet. That's so interesting because you sent me a um a check disc of Electric Dragon the other day, the mm. uh, Sogarishi film, and. I, as I always do when I get one, I got excited and took a photo and put. I was like, oh, I've got some new homework. Um, and you didn't say anything to me. You weren't like, take that down. But then you reshared it a day or two later and you'd like scratched out um, Arrow Publishing. And I thought, oh shit, should I have done that myself? I didn't even think. And it was like a nah, funny nah. That was just a, a simple thing that like, it's it's a third window release, but because I go through Arrow to get the check this done, like it says Arrow Films on it. So like, I thought that everybody might think that Arrow put it out. I mean, it's just gotcha. a bit, uh, yeah, maybe a bit uh, selfish or something that like, I, uh, because I think in some times, like a uh, people have thought that my, that, that Arrow have released my films and it's like, yeah. you know, especially if it's like on, on their Arrow player or something like that, you know, it's, I put, I put all this effort into getting the films remastered and out there. And it's like, I don't really want Arrow to take the credit when they're taking so much money from me. So, um, 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. Selfish. I think anyone though that follows me or listens to the podcast knows that like I'm I'm third window all the way. Uh, so hopefully that comes across. But yeah, fair enough. That makes mm. sense. Okay, um, uh, so the the top two are uh, actually uh, um, two different gay gay uh, themed films. Um, one is uh, called Let Me Hear It Barefoot, which is from a young female director called Riho Kudo, and she made a film many years ago, not many years ago, three four years ago called Orphan Blues which I had in my top 10 at that time, and I loved it. Uh, and she was most probably about 23 at the time when she made that, and she's all, you know, still quite young. And uh, that was very Wong Kar Wai, uh, very atmospheric uh, feeling type film. And this one too, it's about um, two, two boys that they never actually kiss, but they're always sort of like, like sort of fighting with each other. Trying yeah, okay. because they don't know if if they're gay or not, or and they sort of like you know when you're young and you don't know what you do, sort of become violent. So you, they they want they want that physical contact with their their friends that they're fascinated by, but they don't know how to say it, so they just beat each other up. And yeah, that's uh, but at the same time, that's one, what's one aspect of the story. And the other aspect is about uh, one of the two is helping out this this woman who's um dying and and uh, uh, and she's uh, she, uh, she's blind and dying. And um, she's always saying that she wanted to go around the world. So she says, I'll give you money to go around the world on my behalf. And uh, wow. what he does is instead of going around the world, it's him and this other boy make sounds up, pretending like they're in different places. Okay. So, they, so they'll be in a room and they'll, they'll, they'll put some like uh, sand on the floor and they'll, they'll walk on it and they record that. And then he'll bring it back to this woman and say like, we were in the deserts of, 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 the Saudi Arabia or something like that. Uh, so it's this, it's a great sort of uh, it has a lot to do with sound uh, and and feelings. The film more than yeah. more than anything else. And I think that's it's quite experimental, but it's uh, and it's quite long too. But it's uh, it's uh, I think very uh, accomplished for such a young uh, director. Nice. That sounds really cool. I love the poster as well. It's um, the two lads in like a, a rubber dinghy boat in a pool with the recording device. So clearly yeah. they're trying to show that they're on a boat or yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the ocean or something like that. So that's really cool. Yeah. And, and my number one is, is a gay film done on a, on a more polished, uh, um, let me hear it. Barefoot is totally independent and the director really loves working only in the independent uh, side. But uh, the first one, Egoist is um, by Matsunaga Daishi, who, Apart from his film last year, Pure Japanese, which was my worst film of the year, every other films of his have been in my top 10. Oh, I've heard about Pure Japanese. I I, I've not seen it. I think I've got the screener somewhere, but um, you hated it, did you? Yeah, it's on Amazon, but but it was more a film. Uh, Dean Fujioka is a singer and uh, heartthrob, and it was more of his film, I think, than it is. Um, he's the lead actor of that film, that is Daishi Matsunaga's film. But, um, right. Yeah, it's. I think it's on Amazon Worldwide for some reason. I don't know why. So it's fucking miserable. <laughs> so what's this one about? Egoist. So so Matsunaga Daishi came from documentary background, and many years ago he made a film called Pupuru, which is about this some um, transgender um, artist who actually is in Monsters Club as the monster. Yes, I remember talking about this when we released that disc set. Yeah. Yeah, and and Matsunaga Daishi, Matsunaga Daishi made this like very long. Uh, it took over years. He was following, I, th- her bef- when she, I think I have to I forgot, but it was a uh, he he became a her, and I think 
he followed the the surgery as well. And you know, with with egoist, I think because um he's got that uh, background in documentary filmmaking and also working with with transgender and gay people before, he takes that uh, realism of uh, of gay love and puts it into this sort of it's quite a simple story of of just um two guys that uh, are, are the two people that love each other and uh, they they fall apart for for a reason that uh, you you'd learn when you watch the film, but um it's a simple story and it could be quite melodramatic and quite boring if it was another director. But I think because he's got such a uh, great background in realism, he makes it this uh, uh, both real and powerful, but also very cinematic uh, film because he's quite, he's, he's a very talented filmmaker on top of it uh, in terms of visually and framing and all that. So uh, especially Suzuki Ryohei, the main actor who's not gay, um, he was the late main actor from Tokyo Tribe. And he's like, oh, yeah. he's like in just loads of studio films. And, um, you know, you would never in a million years expect him to play this uh, gay character and also have like lots of gay sex scenes in it. Uh, and so it's a phenomenal performance by by him. And uh, it's just a, a, a fantastic film all around, um, you know, whether you're you're of that persuasion or not. It's just a brilliant, brilliant uh, drama. It's a cried, you know, it's a it's, mm. it's, it's really, really a fantastic film. And I hope that it's uh, gets out there more amazing yeah that sounds well if it's your number one film of the year that's yeah it's got to be something to pay attention to and like i said last year was intolerance and i loved that so i'll definitely seek this one out yes uh it, well i mean it, it played tokyo film festival i'm sure it'll play at some film, film festivals from now on so um hopefully amazing that's it we're through we're through, we're through. <laughs> so cool well yeah no like I, I love that so i'm sure some of your top 10 will be in my top 10 next year that's what's happened this year but we'll see we shall, um, we shall. i guess the only thing we've been going for quite a while now as always i know you like to keep these tight but um you know we've 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 had a month or two off so we'll do a little bumper one i guess just as we finish we should if you're comfortable with it talk about what you've got planned for 2023 yeah um Right now, it's mainly a focus on um, two directors. Uh, one is Sogo Ishii and one is Katsuhito Ishii, so a double Ishii. And uh, it's not <laughs> just a double Ishii. It's a, it's, right now, it's a quadruple Asano. It's, Amazing. Uh, got, right now, it's it's four Tadanobu Asano films split up over two directors named Ishii. Um, the, the first Fuck one, yeah. is, as you, as you uh, were able to check out uh, the disc the other day, is Electric Dragon 80,000 Volts, which is, um, you know... Uh, I think some people in, like it more than Tetsuo, and it's uh, another yeah. six, sixty minutes um, punk, black and white uh, cyberpunk film. That um, yeah, it's great to have it finally in high definition and looking uh, and sounding beautifully. It's so intense. It's just this beautiful like uh, rush of energy. Um, every time I see it, the second it finishes, I want to watch it again. Mm. Um, and yeah, so it's one of these films that like you know makes you want more. Where some short films, you're like, oh, I can see why that's a short film. You know, there's not enough to it to make it a feature. Whereas I'm like, you could have dragged this out for another half an hour. I could, I could see more of this. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah so that's gonna like, be like uh, listening to a record or something like that. I mean, you just like, I mean, it's just so music. And then the person who made it, Onagawa Hiroyuki, um, he's a very close friend of mine. He made all the music for it, and uh, I, I interviewed him for the disc about it, and. Uh, you know, I, I'd love to hear him play live over a screening of it. And I'm I'm trying to talk to some places to get that set up for next year. So um, we'll see. It's definitely been 
um, my most successful tweet of the year when I put my like now watching up and the responses were either fuck yes I've been waiting for this for so long I'm so happy or people going holy shit this sounds fucking insane I cannot wait to see it and either way I'm like yep <laughs> yeah let's do it let's yeah. go good start of the year and and I wanted um so I've been talking to Sogoishi about like trying to remaster I mean everyone always ask about August in the water and such and it's just been angel like, dust for me yeah it's angel dust I'm like, angel oh. dust as well i mean uh, it's, it's so complicated and, and uh it, it doesn't have hd materials either but um like we've been just talking for like months about trying to do stuff with them and hopefully something will happen but it's 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 i mean we're back and forth and like especially the rights for for august in the water are like are, are really complicated but, but we're trying to do something and hopefully that will happen but in the meantime i initially when i first saw punk samurai I really wasn't a big fan of it. And that maybe had to do with the fact that the first half of it is quite hard to get into. It's and very also, silly, isn't it? It's very kind of like slapsticky almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's really hard to understand what type of film it is. And especially, I think it's a film that really requires good subtitles. Even if you speak Japanese quite well, it's quite a complicated film to understand on top of it, the, the, the dialogue. Yeah. And I was able to, I saw it again recently and like, it's it's really a film that is a it's really an amazing film but you have to like really give it time you have to watch it a few times i think to understand how amazing it is right and okay. I, and, I, and i think like the if you just watch it once and like if you're not in the right frame of mind like i don't think you you some people will like it especially if you're expecting something else because you you it's ishisogo but like it's i think that's going to be a cult film in in 20 oh, for years sure yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially how it all ends. Like, no spoilers here, but it gets insane. Like, it gets bigger and bigger to the point where I was like, am I watching the same film? This is absolutely mental. And it's amazing that film could even be made. I mean, like, it's just, it's it's the most, like, it's a, it's a studio film with, like, some of the biggest names in Japan. And it's, like, the most anti, like, studio film of all time. I mean, uh, I don't know how they got it made. I don't know how they got it released. Um, I mean, I know... <laughs> Of my friend produced it, and like I just heard horror stories for like ages about how it was, how over budget it was, and how chaotic it was. And I think also working on on this release and and doing the making of and all that sort of stuff, like and and um, you know, seeing it in a different in a different light as well, and then rewatching it again uh, made me really appreciate how good a film it is. And uh, I know that people who watch it, I, I mean, I, I've position to release it like a week after um punk uh, after electric dragon i mean i'll put out all the uh all the information in the early uh january but um i think some people who watch electric dragon and then watch that may hate it because of electric dragon but um i think it's so you... different it, they yeah. don't even look like the same director do they no but uh, and yeah they both also star uh Tadnabo sano and uh, masatoshi nagase uh, so uh, isn't but... key in it as well yeah, Keeson, he's got a big role too. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can understand why some Sogoishi fans might hate it. But I think that like, if you give that time and maybe if you would like, it's a silly film, but it's also like really complex. And I really, I really, uh, I think if you watch that a few times and if you really give it the chance, like you'll appreciate how amazing, amazing of, of him it is. I'm excited. So I've only seen it once and I think I gave it like three and a half stars and mm. said... 
I really enjoyed it. Didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. Yeah. And the ending was like insane. But now you've said that the subtitles need to be super airtight. Maybe mm. I was just lost and didn't know. But I, I definitely enjoyed it. It's got such good energy and it looks amazing. Yeah, I mean, it looks amazing. But it's just like, it's got so many like aspects to it. Uh, it's it's really just so funny and it's really satirical and it's like really crazy and it's i mean like how they made it i mean it's 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 such a feat of of uh, of of manpower as well uh mm. you know it's really a, a i hope that people uh really give it a chance um and that will oh, be man. yeah get me get me that check disc <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's it's uh it's it's in the process right now uh so you'll get it awesome soon. can't wait it's got a long making of, so uh, please, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I'll get my corn cob pipe out. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, and then uh, the next thing that I'm will be uh, the Katsuito uh, Ishii, um, Funky Forest director. I'm thinking about box set like Toshi Toyota, yes. but I'm, I'm wondering, and I'll have to do a, a poll um, at some point as to what people want in it but right now the, i've just remastered shark skin man and peach Hip girl and party seven which yeah, i know boy yeah like electric dragon they're like asano tadanobu uh punk crazy films from the same era so it's uh, they're cult films that everybody's wanted on hd they are both two of the most fun electric just brilliant films um yeah i'm so excited for this release well, I'm also excited because I've managed to get his uh, his short film, a uh, 50 minutes mid length film that he made um, before Shark Skin Man that nobody's really seen. It only played at um, Ubuddy Film Festival in Japan and never outside, called Promise of August, and that's hmm. a film that um, also I'm, I'm remastering it for the set as well as I'm talking to him about um, Hello Junichi, which is a film that I really liked. It's a children's film like about a bunch hmm. of kids making a, a rock band, um, and the thing is, is that I'm torn whether I'm making a, a box set with with three discs, which is Sakskin Man, Party Heaven, and then Hello Junichi and Promise of August on, together on the same disc or, or in some formation like that. Or because I've already got Taste of Tea and Funky Forest out, like making it the full Katsui Tishi, like all his films. Mm. But then I'm wondering, like, because if it's five discs, then it will cost a lot more to make and out there and, and have to put the price up. And, and then people might complain, well, I've already bought Funky Forest and Taste of Tea. But then other people might complain, like, you know, why don't they have all his films in the box? You know, so <laughs> I mean, I, I put like a Twitter poll or something out in the in the beginning of next year to like ask um what to do. But uh, yeah, that that's that's one of the things. Uh. Yeah, that's really hard to know that because, I mean, of course, I think completionists would want the whole set in one thing. Mm. Um, but like you said, if people have already spent money on Taste of Tea, which was a, quite a big seller, right? And Funky yeah. Forest did quite well. Yeah, both. I mean, a lot of people have them, so they might not want to spend like, have like a box set that costs an extra like 20 quid because of those two being in there when they already have them. But um, I don't know. I mean something that i'll discuss i mean that that's something that i'm looking to um do in in the summer because um while i could put it out earlier i'm having uh i mean talks about bringing katsui to ishii to europe to do like retrospectives of his works at film festivals in summer and i also want to bring him to to london and there may be a chance that i bring him to england in july uh on the oh, back yeah. of that so um 
hopefully. I mean, I'm trying to talk to Prince Charles Cinema to play uh, Shark Skin Man and uh, have a Q&A with the director, but Prince Charles uh, is probably too unknown of a film for them, to be honest. Uh, it's King Charles now, mate. Is it? <laughs> Oh but... no! no well, yeah, the prince is now the king, but I don't know if they've changed the name or not. I can't imagine they have, but uh, it'd be interesting <laughs> if they did. <laughs> I mean, that would be incredible because um, you and I haven't met yet, which is bonkers. But um, my plan is to get out to Japan next year. But if you're coming to London too, that we could be twice in one year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I really, I've been working on this this uh, issue alongside with this re- re- with the remastering to try to bring him and do like a full retrospective of his works at some film festival so um it's hopefully that also brings me to england with him and uh we can meet up uh for a pint he really is a cult like cult marvel though isn't he like he he makes films that are so i don't want to say important but they're so unique and so um like bold um, but really, he's nowhere near as big a name as he should be. Like nobody's heard of him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess he hasn't really made that many. I mean, s- s- and his biggest in terms of like production, like Smuggler, wasn't actually that good, and he didn't really like making it either. But um, the thing is, is that he's just a really, really, really nice guy, and it's always makes it even more fun when you're working with somebody fun to work with. I mean, yeah. Mm. So I love. You know, it just makes it easier for for me, uh, and and it just makes the whole thing a better experience when when you're working with somebody and and they're they're helping you when they're really really helpful. I mean, he's a really the thing about him is he's a massive name because he's a big time commercial director and he's yes like commercial yeah. but like like Johnny's like uh, Smap like that sort of like big big name star as commercials and that's why he that's why I guess he doesn't really make films anymore because um he's busy making all these commercials but at the same time like you would never usually those com- those commercial directors that make the commercials for these like big name assholes map talents like but, um, they're usually assholes themselves but like he's he's just so cool and like so down to earth that it's a uh, it's a pleasure to work with him and i'm just so happy that uh this this is because i've been trying to work on this for years and i'm happy it's finally progressing yeah i mean that's four really exciting releases and I'm sure you'll get more along the way, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, I mean, uh, the the schedule is is looking quite uh, busy towards the end of the year. Uh, there's some other titles that I've picked up uh, that I can't mention yet. But uh, I'm a bit. I've got a gap uh, of like April, May, and June that I I need to find some titles to fit in there. Uh, so I'm I'm sort of searching right now. Interesting. Get in touch with uh, Kawai Lim for your lovely smile. See what you yeah, I, it, it's an idea. I mean, yeah, I, I think I might might uh, give it a go. Awesome. Well, that was cool, man. I I really I really missed chatting to you. Obviously, this these last few months have been a bit hectic and crazy, but that was really fun to like catch up properly. And uh, yeah, and yeah, it's uh, made me want to catch up on a lot more non-Japanese films as well. <laughs> well, yeah, so. I, what I'll do is I'll, I'll send you the link to my top 20 after this, but um, I'll put all the links to all of this stuff in our description for this episode. Um, thank you for everyone who's listened in this year. It's It's been a really fun one. And thank you for sticking by. And yeah, I think next year is going to be even bigger. We're going to have bigger names um, joining us as guests. We're going to have some cool new features, um, get people involved a bit more. And 
yeah, I think it's going to be a really, really good year next year. And obviously also, like, if I come to Japan or you come to London, we can actually do some in-person episodes. That'll be it, rad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure. God, <laughs> um, these headphones really start to hurt after a while. I know, and I'm like leaning forward got a yeah. bad back you know we're not we're not young men anymore but. Uh, it's also it's quite late <laughs> late in japan the time time difference just does become a pain so hopefully we could do it on the same time time zone <laughs> for sure but yeah so you guys know the drill by now if you're not following adam it's at third window on twitter and it's third window films everywhere else um you can catch me as at benji box spelt with a y and that's all across letterbox twitter instagram all that sort of jazz um and yeah, I hope you all have a lovely Christmas. Uh, if all's gone well, I've released this on Christmas Day as a, a kind of gift to you all. And uh, yeah, it won't be long. We'll be back. We'll back in January for a 2023 Third Window Films podcast. Boom, boom. Cool. Merry Christmas. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Two flights up by the third window from Shape.